Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Mobile hunters, our buddies over at Tethered are always innovating to keep us more mobile and in the game when it counts. From the Tethered One Sticks, the Fast Pack, to the Ultra Lock Saddle, Tethered is always designing to increase comfort and utility while reducing bulk, weight, and fiddle factor of mobile hunting gear. And now, they've outdone themselves yet again by creating the Carbon Fiber Forged Predator CFX Platform, the lightest fully featured mobile saddle platform that raises the bar for what's possible in mobile hunting gear. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old tree climbing veteran, go to tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting gear. Welcome to the Truth From Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 373. Today, we're coming to you from the Cumberland Estate, fresh off a quail hunt from a house I think is haunted. So stay tuned. up everyone happy wednesday to you hope you're doing well hope you are feeling fine this is kind of a uh, a different podcast that we're doing this week i'm going to keep this up front really short just so we can kind of jump into it but um we'll talk about it a little bit at the beginning aaron and i will he and i had a chance to go do a quail hunt and and hunt behind some killer dogs so we jumped at the opportunity just so it uh, happened to coincide with the weekend that we got a ton of snow so aaron and i were able to bail on the cold well it was still cold in virginia but we were at least able to bail on the snow uh get out stretch our legs and do a little bit of hunting and uh do a little hanging out which was awesome and uh we talk a little bit about the house that we were in uh feeling like it might have been haunted <laughs> we both kind of got the heebie-jeebies a little bit and then maybe just to kind of give you a heads up at the very end of this episode with maybe three minutes left or so the audio kind of got weird and that's never happened to me before where the you know i could see visibly while i was recording the audio track was acting kind of funky and it's never done it before 
prior to that. And I kind of checked everything out when I got home and, um, it's working fine as I'm using it right now to record this. So that is my, um, I don't have any scientific proof, but that is my own kind of proof in the pudding of there being spirits in that 200 or however, however old that house was, um, that was built and used during civil war era and, uh, and things of, uh, things of that nature. One last piece of housekeeping to kind of pass along to you guys, uh, great American outdoor show coming up here on February 3rd. It starts Friday. I will be there on Saturday. I'm sorry, uh, not Friday on Saturday is February 3rd. I will be there, um, in the Exodus booth in the archery hall. I forget the booth number, but they're the same place they've always been. And then I'll also be sliding over, um, to the, the tethered booth, which is just right behind, uh, basically where the Exodus booth is. So I'll be kind of splitting my time between those two places. If you plan to be there this weekend on Saturday, uh, make sure to stop by one of the two booths and, uh, say hello. We'd love to chat with you, talk a little deer hunting, see how your, how your season went and, uh, and just chop it up. So with that, we're going to go ahead and just jump into today's show. As always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the truth from the stand deer hunting podcast. And today we are coming to you on location, and I say we, because no, I do not have a mouse in my pocket. I have, <laughs> I have one Mister. I might have a ghost in my pocket. Might actually, or in the room next door. Who knows? You uh, hear the dulcet tones of one Mister. Aaron Hepler. What's going on, man? Not much, buddy. It was a fun day. It was a fun day. We'll uh, we'll jump into it here in a second, but just yeah. to kind of let's give the the people at home a little, um, I guess. A lay set, of the, set the atmosphere here. A lay of the land. Yeah. Lay of the land, right? Yeah. We are, um, Aaron, Aaron and I are bougieing it up this weekend. <laughs> super bougie. We're, we're, we're super bougie right now. Um, we're actually sitting in a Civil War era farmhouse. Yep. In Virginia. Yeah. Um, it's like trying, 18 rooms in this house. There is like 18 rooms in this house, of which 17 are haunted. Yep. I've come to find out. I've I've determined whenever I got, as soon as I got here, I walked in, opened the door, and no lie, like my immediate thought was like, this place is haunted. <laughs> like It was like the first thing I thought of. I was like, there's no way that this house is in this area with all like the Civil War kind of... uh history that this era area has yeah, i mean you can see it when you do, just on the property you can imagine it yeah it's it's a little well even when we were looking into the dining room right before we started recording yeah you were like i was gonna walk in there to see if there was water in there yeah, i decided not to <laughs> and i turned around <laughs> and i looked at the i looked through the doorway uh as well you were like go ahead and walk in there and i looked in, and i was like Nah, nah I'm, like, good. I'm, I'm solid. I'm going to stay right here. And then I, in fact, shut the door to that room. It was like Got a little cold. Yeah. And if that, if that door happens to open up at some point, uh, during the night, I'm going to lose my shit. Just, <laughs> just saying. Or while we're podcasting or while we're podcasting, you'll hear me scream like a woo man <laughs> on the podcast. Um, but no, um, Aaron and I are actually staying at a place called, um, Cedar Lane is 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 what it's called. Um, we got an invite actually uh, from the folks at Cumberland Estate, um, which Cumberland Estate we're kind of learning about it. You know, while we're here for the for the weekend, um, just about like the history of it and stuff like that because it's basically this 
big house, I guess you could say, yeah. right? Home or plantation home, I think it was Massive at one point. Home. Yeah. Um, that uh, is is an estate. They they host all kinds of things here. They host things from you know weddings to you know bachelor parties to you know uh, business kind of meetings and like when you do these types of things, you know you could have a weekend getaway with like a bachelor party or whatever, and you can go hunt quail or yeah. you can you know so they they do things like that and it's kind of rooted in in and around the outdoors and having like outdoor experiences and and stuff like that. Um, and so we got an invite to come down just to kind of check out the grounds, do a quail hunt, yep. you know, Kyle and what was the other guy's name? The other guy with the dogs? They had, oh, they Patrick. Had, Patrick. Yeah. Um, Kyle had a lab and Patrick had uh, a couple pointers and beautiful came out. Dogs. Beautiful dogs. Worked really, really well. I've never personally hunted with birds or hunted birds with dogs before. I've hunted yeah. with dogs when I was growing up. But mainly just rabbits. Like when my dad and I pheasant hunted and stuff like that, it was always just he and I going out and trying to jump pheasants for each other, right. essentially, you know. And so I'd never bird hunted with dogs. So whenever they reached out and was like, hey, you know, we'd love for you to come down and check out the grounds, you know, do a quail hunt with us, learn a little bit, a little bit of the history, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. You know, and in return, they were like, if you, you know, if you had a good time, just talk about us or whatever. Um, and so I was like, cool, I've never done this before. I was like, so let's check it out. And so I brought, you know, I wanted to bring Aaron along just to kind of have the experience with me. And dude, quail hunting's fun. It was fun. Like it, I like bird hunting for no, I don't want to say for another reason because I don't want to diminish it, but for the reason, the same reason I liked goose hunting or duck hunting, mm -hmm. because it was very low stress for me and low expectations. Yeah. I mean, I mean, well, everybody says it, um, there's no trophies in quail hunting, right? I mean, maybe you make a really good shot and that is what you consider the trophy, but like, like nobody's measuring, nobody's measuring a quail. My quail was bigger than your <laughs> quail, Aaron. I'm just... My quail did lose its head. One of the quails I right. shot lost its head. Um, but I mean, the fun of it is, is you do, you get that like camaraderie thing. You get to, you know, we got to talk to the guides and they were really, they were cool dudes. Super good dudes. Got to, yeah. got to hang out with them and then just watch their dog. I've never, like, I've, I've hunted over dogs for pheasants a lot and stuff like that, but not, not like that. Like that, that like one, two, that guy's pointers were incredible. Like yeah. they stopped at every single covey or bird, single bird. And then that combination of them. Like, Honoring the one who found. Yeah. The one pointer stopping and pointing and the other one stopping to honor the one that found the bird. And then having the lab wait till we get there. And then he's like, he tells the lab to go get it and the pointer stay on point. And then the lab just works, works in between them and flushes it out. Yeah. It was, that was amazing. I've never yeah. seen dogs work together like that. It's, he said that was their first time hunting together too. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause yeah. That's Kyle said that, <clears throat> that, uh, shoot, I forget the lab's name now. Gunner. Gunner. Yeah. Gunner had never hunted with the two the two pointers before the two pointers yeah. obviously had hunted together and worked together before. Yeah. Cause Patrick like, you know, raised them, trained yeah. them, you know, and Patrick's a retired game warden officer yeah. from, from Virginia. Yeah. Um, I guess you should mention that Cumberland, Cumberland estate is in Virginia. I think yeah. we're in an area called Kent way. If I'm not new, mistaken. new Kent, new Kent, new Kent. Yeah. Sorry. I'm really screwing this up as far as like the names go. Um, hopefully Patrick's right. Patrick. Yeah. Patrick, you know who we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, uh, 
But yeah, it was crazy how the like the pointers would kind of basically find the birds and one like whichever one was closest would point. Yeah. And then the other one would basically come behind it and just stand like at attention. It was really kind of odd to watch because I really didn't know what they were doing at first because I'd mm-hmm. never experienced that. Mm-hmm. And then Patrick was saying, oh, the second one is honoring the first one position point. of the first one or the <clears throat> point of the first one. Yeah. And then, yeah, Gunner would come up behind it and basically sit and we'd be able to kind of get behind the dogs. And then he'd basically just tell them to hunt them up. And yeah. then dude would go in and flush him out and then Aaron would, I'd, I'd miss him. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, <laughs> you know, I thought they, well, honestly, I thought they would be a little faster than they were on the flush. Mm-hmm. When they got out, then they were like, they were gone. Yeah. But these birds like fly out and they just kind of hover over the grass for a second before they take off. Yeah. And sometimes it was so weird. Like they would fly, like when they flushed a covey, like, more like you know three or more birds one of them would always come in your face mm-hmm. when you're trying to get the other one so you're like kind of confused and like I, well i caught one in my hand at one point right yeah the bird flew up I and i <laughs> grabbed it yeah the the interesting thing was you know i haven't hunted birds and i mean if, n- ducks and geese notwithstanding mm-hmm so I haven't hunted like upland, f- upland birds. Yeah. yeah. Um, since I was probably a junior in high school, oh, wow. probably was the last time yeah. I hunted. Cause you know, my dad and I would go out and hunt pheasants every now and then. that was really it. Like once I was gone to college and it was off and gone, it was like big game hunting or, or I wasn't hunting right. essentially. Right. You know? And so even just, and I haven't hunted ducks or geese in, probably two years yeah at, at least two years um and so i haven't shot at flying birds often at all yeah in in, in the recent past right and so even like getting back <clears throat> on top on the gun yeah you know to to try to get on a bird it's flying it's like trying to figure out how far because i remember the first one like you missed and i missed one of that that first flush and you were like how long should I, how far should I lead these things again? Yeah. The guy was like, dude, like, like right in front of him. Yeah. You know? And you know, I still missed a couple more after that. And I finally started realizing that I needed to actually let the birds get a little further out. Cause once you said it, it made sense. Cause like, man, I'm trying to shoot too. Now the one I did shoot was like right on top of me. Yeah. You know, and that was actually a pretty good shot, but it's weird because some of them were flying out and, <clears throat> and sticking so low to the ground. Yeah. And you, you don't shoot them whenever they're low to the ground. You also don't want to, getting jeopardy of hitting a dog right and stuff like that so you want to let them get up far enough and it's just you know it's if you don't do it often it's it's there's a lot kind of going on until you kind of get your vibe yeah i mean i'm probably in the same boat i haven't hunted pheasants the last time i took my dog hunting pheasants was three or four years ago now so i haven't really you know painted a bird out of the sky for a while either and and leading a bird is not they're all different, right? Like if you're leading a dove, you you be eight feet in front of that thing and hit the dove. But mm-hmm. these birds flew really different. But it was it was helpful to let them get out, yeah. get out of ways because they kind of stabilized their flight and they were a little more predictable. I felt, yeah, because that finally when I like connected with that one that was across that that uh, I don't know that ditch or that drainage ditch, yeah. I finally hit that one. They're like, holy crap, I can't believe you shot that thing. All I'm like, I told you, I just needed to let it get out a little bit. Right. Yeah. And then we kind of got a little groove. Yeah. Going yeah. there then. 
Yeah, so I ended up shooting. I only ended up sh- killing two doves. Pit, uh, three, I guess. Quail. Or yeah, I'm sorry, quail. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> Quails, birds, birds. There's winged things. Uh, yeah, quail. Sorry. It's like so. It, I guess three. It is ten thirty at night. So it, it, we're it, dude. This we're is my bedtime right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you're not gonna lie. This is you getting up on my bedtime. Full belly so. honeycomb ice cream. I know. Yeah. Then they fed us afterwards. You know, made us like had some duck breast, and we actually ate some quail. Yep. Had some dessert. It was delicious. That chef, top notch. Yeah. Had top be- notch to the Cumberland State. Had a beverage. Which was, had yeah. two beverages, actually, I'm not going to lie. Had two beverages. I had some water. You had some water. It was good. Yeah, you were good. But uh, no, it was awesome, man. Like, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Just good company, you know, of you know, like fellowship. Yeah. You know, good dudes to hang out with. Good conversation. Awesome dogs working. And it was just a super cool, super cool experience. And then getting ready to kind of, getting, you know, being able to sit around the the, the table after eating tonight and just, Cutting it up with with Kyle and just talking hunting. And I mean, stuff we like spent that. two hours swapping hunting stories. Yeah, with a, I mean, he's a pretty well rounded guide. Like he's done a lot of you know some some deer guiding. Uh, sounded like in Georgia. Yep, and just lots of ducks. Yeah, lots of ducks. That, I mean, that's his thing is yeah. is the is the birds and the dogs and stuff. But you know, even got to talk to him about, um his elk hunt in Utah. And yeah. Like which was all, a complete yeah. disaster. <laughs> that was one disaster. of the best. <laughs> Everything. I mean, they killed elk. They, which did. Was... They, all, they killed four. It sounded yeah. like, but, um, just, it was just cool. And you know, it was fireside, you know, they were throwing logs on the fire in the, in the giant dining room in that yeah. place. In that haunted place. In that haunted place. That place is probably a little more haunted than this yeah. place. So that place that we were in, like it, it's, I want to say it was like, 18 shoot. I'm going to get the date wrong now. I thought I saw a document in there. Cause it's so the place is a place where they'll host like a dinner or like a, a, a business meeting or well, last or week whatever. they had 24 people out for yeah. a business meeting and the owner was actually at that one. Yeah. Like and they went out event. and did a quail hunt and, yeah. and stuff like that. The, uh, and the, the grounds are huge. They own like thousands. There's thousands of acres essentially yeah. like, like where that place is at. Plus they have like a bunch of other kind of pieces around. Didn't he say seven? He said, I thought 7,000 7, like roughly was like said. the acreage that they have in, in, in total. In chunks, yeah. But it was that particular house, the, the Cumberland estate itself has like a lot of history with it, which was cool. So they gave us, they gave us a tour of it and kind of showed us a lot of the, the stuff that they've actually gotten from the ground. So like they had a bunch of, you know, uh, arrowheads and stuff like that that were found on the grounds. They had like a bunch of recovered civil, civil war, war memorabilia, stuff. you know, a uh, musket and bullets and cannonballs. And yeah. It was cool. Yeah. The it anchor was, from the, from the ship Yeah, that came up the river. Yep. Cause this, this is part of the, I guess the Chesapeake Bay watershed, right? Is that what they were saying? I would think so. I think it is. And cause she did say that the water on drought years gets pretty salty. Yes. Um, and she said when they do have drought years, like everybody scours the rivers because you can just find all this stuff. Yeah. Cause people were just throwing their trash yeah. at that time or what they deemed as trash. Yeah. You know? So all the bullets and fragments and things that you can find plus all the, that other cabinet was just full of like seashells and shark teeth. Yeah. That they, the Megalodon. was it a Megalodon, yeah, Megalodon and all yeah. that stuff that they, they had in that case. 
that they find in these little creeks here and stuff. Yeah, which is just cool. crazy to yeah. think of. The uh, the other cool thing was like the document that had the picture <clears throat> of the camp, the Civil War camp that was set up yeah. here. I mean, it was just hundreds like, of tents. Yeah, it was it was it was insane. Like it's wild. It, so it was just, and there was a uh, the church where George Washington. Got married. Did I hear that right? Because I thought I heard that, but I was looking at something else in the case when she said it. I didn't catch the details of the church either, but they turned and it then into she, a hospital. Because she said, the, yeah, she mentioned the first lady. And so there's a church that's, I think that they have now, Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, that was the church where Washington got married. Yeah. I forget his, this is terrible, I should know this, like, you know, as a <clears throat> patriot, you should know who the first first lady is. But he was married there. And then eventually, like the North took it over and yeah. turned it into a hospital. But that's actually in this in this town, yeah. Or whatever. So just overall, super cool, super cool trip. But I'm always curious, like you know, because we're deer hunting nerds, like you know, I found like so they don't this these grounds that we were on today does not get deer hunted. No, um, like well, zero. not the one that we that we they have some properties that are hunted. Just not the one we hunted. Yeah, just the the where we were quail hunting today. Right. There is no deer hunting allowed. Which looks like baller. Deer Which hunting. looks like baller deer habitat. <laughs> like I was thinking that the whole time. I was like, "Where's the sheds at?" Yeah. The uh, and I found no less than three like huge like yeah. four finger tracks. Plenty. Like while I was walking, I was like, there were the first one I remember seeing, and I asked because they actually had a a guy out that was doing like some videography and stuff like that for him today, and. Super good dude too. Yeah. He's actually originally from New York. Um, super good dude. And we were walking along. We were talking about deer hunting. Mm-hmm. And I walked and I saw this track. I was like, "Holy shit, man!" I was like, "Did you see that track?" He's like, "Yeah, they're all over here." And I was like, "Do they hunt? Like, does anybody hunt this?" He's like, yeah. "No, nobody hunts it." I'm like, "Dude, there's got to be giants here." And he was like, "Yeah, <laughs> there's giants here." <laughs> and the crazy thing was, like, he was showing me some pictures of just like some deer he's had on camera like yeah in this in this area and some buddies of his and he actually does um deer recovery using uh thermal drones or whatever thermal drones he does uh deer recovery using thermal drones he he's was showing me, starting a business off of it yeah he's killing it too yeah. um and uh the deer that he was like some of the deer he was showing me that were recovered in this area it was just i couldn't believe they were coming from virginia like i know right. virginia has big deer in certain areas. And what I really know of Virginia is as far as big deer go is probably from Nathan Killen. Yeah. Right. And that's North of here, if I'm not mistaken. And you know, Appalachia mountain yeah. type of situation. And, but in this area where we're not far from like Virginia beach, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think yeah. Virginia beach is too terribly uh, far. I, mean, from, I saw exit signs for yeah. it on the way. Here. So it's like, we're not far from there. And I would have just never guessed that this area had the caliber of deer that he was showing me. Now it's you're not talking like Kansas caliber. I mean, there but there was some one sixties and the uh, the the host young the young lady host that was there tonight. Her yeah. she said her boyfriend. Oh, he shot a deer. That that deer that was, was a hammer. massive. Yeah, it was a big deer. I mean, that was a it was an eight point right. And it was probably all it was one hundred and forty inch eight point. Yeah, one hundred and forty inch eight point easy. Yeah. I would say that. Yeah, and that's a giant for an eight point. Yeah, you know I mean, it was big, big deer. Yeah, so <clears throat> brain is never far away from deer hunting. You know, whenever we when we go somewhere, and so I was I was finding those tracks, but the other thing, and this is one thing that 
I loved doing, even whenever I was working with my, my lab, Rocky, teaching him how to find sheds and admittedly screwing it up because he was, you know, and Tony Peterson kind of corrected me on this was like, as opposed to him finding the shape, like he was at first just getting him to retrieve was good. But whenever yeah. I needed to really kind of work him to be able to really shed hunt, I needed him to find the shape as opposed to just smell my, my hand. Right. You know what I mean? And, and it was funny cause I could watch Rocky work, you know, and how he was using his nose to find the shed. And I was like, Oh, you cheater. Like you're using yeah. your, you're using your nose. And not he's not eyes. trying to look for a shed. He's right. trying to smell your, your my, scent. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so that being said, it was still like interesting watching him work. Cause you know, again, I go back to saying like, I haven't hunted with dogs since I was a kid hunting rabbits with right. my uncle. And so I don't get to see a dog work that often. And so watching those dogs work today with their nose yeah. to, to find cubbies of, of quail yeah, was awesome. And, it, and it, it gives you an appreciation just like watching how the air is kind of moving and how they're using it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the winds were pretty steady Yeah, when they were blowing and, and you could tell the dogs would... I mean, their nose was in it the whole time, you know, mm -hmm. the, the touching the air, licking the air. And it is, pointers are so cool. They're just so unique. I have a buddy, I have another buddy at home that has two pointers and we were at a, a 4th of July thing with him this year. And there was a songbird like landed in the yard. Now he has a dog. I don't know how old his dogs are, but I know one of them is kind of still a puppy and the other one is, um, an adult dog. The adult dog was stalking like you know, doing the slow, mm -hmm. slow crawl to the bird to be like in pointing range of that bird. And it would just point. The other dog was copying everything that that dog was doing to like learn from the older dog. It was, oh, wow. it was really cool. And it just like, all right, get it. And they have the dog pound. Cause they, I mean, that's one thing you train pointers eventually, like they have to be able to flush the bird too. So, right. Um, it's cool. It's, it's so cool to watch dogs like that. Yeah. The, uh, what I, what I always like to watch them do is just, I try to think about how they're using the wind mm -hmm. and then thinking about, you know, thinking of them as a deer yeah, and how they're in and how essentially I, I'm the quail and the dog is the, is the deer. Right. Essentially. And watching how that game is kind of being played between right. the two. Man, the one dog had a super long point at the end of that going out that point. Yeah. On the, that, at the end that was crazy because that was like i don't know i don't think i'm exaggerated when i say that that was at least like a it was 60 40 yards yeah 40, 40 to 60 yard yards, point yeah. where we came up and had gunner the the lab go to flush and he ran way out there and we're like whoa 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 and they stopped them you know because we're way too far to shoot at this yeah. point right and so then we all walk up and like the the dog's point again like immediately you know Gunner goes to find him again, and it's like, and he's yeah. too far away. Whoa, 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 whoa. I had to move up again. Like, yeah. And, it was, and it was because we had that steady wind right along the edge of that point. Yeah. yeah. It was just ripping right up over. And so if you think about that, and you're hunting along <clears throat> points and stuff like that, and you think about how far your wind carries. Yeah. You know, like, that was a bird the size of my hand. Yeah. And it's funny because you have, uh, I mean, think about it in deer, deer hunting scenario. When you go scouting, where do you find the most tree stands? Mm -hmm. On the end of a point. Yeah. They're on the end of a point where the deer is bedding. 
there is no way you're getting to that stand on the end of the point unless you know that deer is not there. A hundred percent. And you can, I mean, a, a dog has a really good nose. A deer has probably a bit, I don't know. Do they have better nose? Oh, I think they have better. By noses. far. Yeah. So when you look at, a, I mean, that the end of that point, I'm sure the dog could smell the end of that point. The end of that point was 200 yards down mm-hmm. the ridge with a wind like that. And it was a perfect wind. It wasn't like ripping so hard that they were, you know, trying to figure out what was swirling. It was not, you know, a steady 14 mile an hour. Yeah. You know, breeze. It was probably. exactly what you would want if you were bow hunting. Yeah. It, you know, it's yeah. like, it's that perfect range of like, overcome the thermals consistent so the consistent deer can wind. be confident because they're getting a true yeah like you know a true wind yeah they can use you as a hunter are getting a true wind that you can use you know on that on that type of wind it's funny because i think even i want to say when chad and those guys at one point did like a bunch of their trail camera kind of data examination mm-hmm. this is probably like he probably mentioned it maybe three years ago. Maybe it was only two years ago, but it's it's been a little while that they found like a sweet spot for you know, deer activity relative to wind speed. Yeah, right. And it was around that like ten to 14. ten to fourteen mile per hour yeah. is like what you really wanted. And I and I've, I've even talked to um oh shoot I can't remember can't remember his name now um I don't know why uh, Jason Michaels yeah. And he, that's kind of like his sweet spot too. Is the, is the same thing. And it's not a surprise. Why, when you watch a dog work like that, and you get that steady wind, and you watch a an animal that's going to rely on his nose to, dog's not trying to survive, but he's trying to do his job right. that he's been trained to do, and that wind is just like perfect for him to be right. able to do it. Like they were so on point with finding finding birds and just yeah. right on them. Yep. That it was it was unreal. Yeah, it it was it was really cool to watch. I think. Um, I think too, when you're talking about wind speeds and different things in deer hunting scenarios, like, you know, everybody's like, well, there's like all that different train of thought. Well, you can't kill a deer from a couch or like you either have like the guys that are like go every day or the guys that are like, uh, I'm only going to go if the weather's just right. And like, in some sense, you just have to go when you have to go. But if you have the opportunity to like stack a couple things, like um, let's say that you have a lot of family obligations and you, you have one day that week to hunt, like stack the weather in your favor. If that's the day, yeah. you, you know, if you have like three days to pick from, but you can only pick one. I mean, those are things that you want to be thinking about. Yeah. Let me ask you this, like how, when you think of all the factors of, picking your optimum day to hunt in whatever number of days you have off or however many days you have that week to hunt. Like where does wind rank for you? And is it, is it always, is it always, I guess, weighted as a priority in relationship to wind direction or wind speed or kind of both at the same time? Uh, a little bit of both. I think direction is most important because it's, I mean, that's going to dictate where you're going to set up. Right. It's going to dictate that, but and more importantly, your access. Yeah. Um, but wind speed, if it's a wind speed, it's a factor of like, I don't like to hunt in 30 mile an hour wind. Right. Like 
25. I'm not saying it's a cutoff. Like if I have a spot that's like tucked in and the wind direction's right and I know it doesn't get pounded, then I might go if it's, if it's, you know, 30 something. A bad wind day. Essentially. Yeah. Like as far as like strength. Yeah. Or speed but when I get up into the, into the mid twenties and it, if I know I'm going to be like rocking and rocking and rolling all day, like I can't do that for very long. <laughs> I like, I, like, I, 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 I pretend I'm Lieutenant Dan. Yeah. In, in Forrest Gump. <laughs> you will not take this boat. I mean, if I'm going to do that, then I, I do more like, I mean, I just, that's a really good time to experiment to be completely honest. Like, if you're if you're not good at the ground thing, like a windy day, as long as it's steady and you're in an area that's not sw- like gonna swirl on you yeah. or whatever, like hey, that's a good idea to get out of the tree and go walk around. Um, I've done some of that like kind of spot and stock thing through clear cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, when the wind, you not, you, I mean, obviously you, you got to have some that don't have like a high can like a low canopy that you can't see over. You're talking like a couple year old cut that's that's basically like something you would burn hunting through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can kind of do like a spot and stock through there and it doesn't matter what you're stepping on most of the time because yeah. it's blowing and everything's loud. I mean, that's a really good time to learn stuff. That like was that. how I snuck up on that, on that buck in on the North piece. Uh, yeah. On that second, because it was the same kind of setup. Like I, I jumped out when a little you were bit coming out, when you were, what, yeah, yeah, I came out. Uh, I mean, I came out early, I guess, technically speaking, cause I still had a little bit of light, but I, I had, like in the timber, the canopy, I I lost light from my pin. Yeah. And so I was able to slide out and kind of walk along and right. I had enough wind cover that I could kind of move and not have to worry about anything kind of hearing me as I got up along the, up along those cuts. Right. And I'm not telling you to, you know, go run around the woods. You don't want to go ruining other people's hunts or like, and the other thing too, is you got to remember, like if it's, if it's, if it's something you haven't done before, you got to take your time because you don't you haven't learned yet like how much can you get away with and that kind of thing but right. i think that's a good day to like just kind of experiment or um you know right you know glass scout those are good things right. to do so let me ask you this so you were saying that you know that wind direction is probably the more important right than the wind speed being the second cuz like mm-hmm. if, if it's going to be 30 mile per hour like it's you're going to have to think about where you're going to be differently. Or if it's going to be 20, I'm going to be rocking and rolling all day. Like it might make a different decision, but say you have the right, you know, and that's basically saying like, I've got the wind direction I want for my access for the place I want to hunt. But Mm -hmm. the wind speed is kind of a deterrent at this point. Say you have the wind direction. Say you need a, say you need a North wind, make it easy. And to access the spot. And the north wind is what you need to also hunt it. We'll just make it simple. And you're not going to have, it's not going to be 10 to 14 miles per hour. It's not going to be your perfect ideal wind. It's mm-hmm. not going to be 30 miles per hour. You know, it's, it's not going to be one of those that you're getting buffeted around, right? Right. But it's going to be that like three mile per hour light and variable. Yeah. Are you still taking, are you still hunting one of your better spots? with the right wind direction, even if it's a light and variable wind, like say three miles, miles per hour, roughly. Yeah, I think so. Because I think it depends on the time of the year. Like I'm probably not going to do that in the first two weeks of October. Um, where a, maybe a pattern is a little more predictable. Um, if I know I need a North wind and I have light and variable winds, I know that wind is going to blow from the South at some point. 
especially because there's more leaves on the trees and things are all, all, all whacked. But otherwise, like when you're hunting big woods bucks, you, you get in a spot and you know they use that spot, but you really don't know which direction they're coming from. Yeah. Especially if you're in, if you're in like whatever, you know, everybody wants to call it a hub. If you're in a hub of activity and there's 18 trails that you know of around that area, you don't really know where anything's coming from. You know, there's this doe bedding and this doe bedding. So then I, I don't, I kind of like think of it in that light, like, okay, the buck's main focus is going to be these two bedding areas. So what winds can I get away with the best and how should I set up? So when he's coming through that transition, how can I make sure my wind is staying away from that deer? I actually did that kind of this year with that uh, buck that I hit. There, because I don't even think we've talked since we probably didn't, season. Yeah, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but I hit a I hit a really big ten pointer. It was in really big. It was legit. It, yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, it's it a heartbreak. Let's, let's talk about it some more. Well, why don't we? A, yeah, we can talk. <laughs> we can talk about it some more. I think the reason you know we were talking about scrapes with Kyle tonight. And we were talking about like community scrapes and the ones that are used, you know, all year round. Um, the, the, the one thing that I find that's really hard to find in postseason scouting is scrapes that they use on transition. Hmm. Like, um, and I'm, I'm, we'll talk about it now because I'm, this is like kind of the specific area. There is sometimes a, like a pretty big scrape that gets hit often and early in this particular spot. But for the last three years in a row, there has been a small line of scrapes. And I'm talking like, they look like turkey scratchings. Like mm-hmm. the deer kicked something, you know, just very small, tiny scrapes. And last year on November 1st, I had that big eight pointer that I was chasing last year. I had him on camera in the spot that I hit the 10 pointer this year. And I'm not like, oh, maybe the eight pointer will come back. But I was hunting that spot because I know it's a spot mature bucks like to go, probably because there's some kind of fawn drop that happens at that time, whatever right. it happens to be. But there's two bedding areas. There's a there's kind of like a point or a fawn drop that times out that where they're being bred at that correct time. Yeah. Correct. So there's a point that's all brushy that does like to bed on, and it's a wide point. It's not like a like a spine back ridge or anything. It's just like a wide point that kind of drops off. Not, not gradually, but not like. Not a right, sheer drop. Right. Yeah. There's a bedding point, And then there's right on this side, there's like a, I will call it an oval of brush. Mm-hmm. Right. And in between that, the, the scrapes come off the point and they go around the top of that. And then they go down along the side of it. And typically we get like a northwest wind there, um, usually something out of the north and, all, you know, always some westerly mm-hmm. kind of winds. And <clears throat> I found this two years ago that they were starting to make like these little, they made this little scrape line. And if you put a camera on it, you'd probably never get a buck on it. Because I think one or two bucks open these scrapes and they get pissed in once or twice. And then if you put a camera on it, you probably get a couple of does that hit it. But those bucks are just using that scrape line to um, to scent check those bedding areas as they go along. Because I know that oval one that I'm talking about, there's a couple of those that go down the ridge. And um, 
they they just kind of funnel along the top of that scrape line or the bottom of that scrape line. So <clears throat> I think those are the ones that are really hard to find during postseason scouting because they're the ones that get covered up like right away. Mm. So you have to be really, you know, diligent and trying. You have to scout for licking branches, mm-hmm. and they might be small. And so pay attention to like where the leaves are thinner. You know, not like like maybe they have just a single layer of leaves or something, and you can kind of tell they were disturbed at one point. Look for a licking branch there, because if you can find six or seven of those in a row, you know a buck is going right along that at some point. Right. And it doesn't matter if it's a big scrape or not. Mm-hmm. It's there's a if you know there's a big buck in the area, he's going to use those at some point. Right. And then it just becomes a matter of timing when he's going to use it, because the 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 benefit of that community scrape is is that it's kind of like 7-Eleven. Yep. It's open for business all the time. Yep. Challenge is, is figuring out, like, at what periods is the buck that you're trying to kill or a good buck going to be in that area. And you don't have to necessarily hunt over top the scrape, but, yeah. you know, in the area of right. that scrape, right? How far away from it do you have to be to make right. it work? With that scrape line. It's like a it's, Tootsie Pop. Right. <laughs> The Tootsie Pop scrape. <laughs> we just coined it. The Tootsie Pop scrape. That scrape line that you're talking about is more. When is that like one or I don't know how long the period would be, like the one or two week period where that thing's actually going to be worth anything, right? Because that's what that becomes is like what's that small window of the entire year that it's even going to be relevant, right? You know, exactly. And that's like the. Yeah, that's there was one that was like that that I hunted in Ohio before that that was a, a scrape line that had a couple big deer on it and I mean I would have swore there was enough daylight activity on it that I would have swore if you sat that thing for like three days like in that scrape line somewhere yeah. that you were gonna see a really good buck and I ba- and I did that that year this is probably like six years ago and saw one like one young one young buck and that yeah. was it and that's just a, a matter of me not being there the right the right week exactly. you know what I mean? or the right three days or the right four days like because it and that scrape line basically after that like dried up was, yeah was done and it only opens for like a very specific kind of amount of time and then it's and then it's done yeah well and it's it's the same thing with uh i ran cameras on two different scrapes that are only like 60 yards apart for the last couple of years and i i told you that one day I went in there and hunted, I didn't pull the camera. I don't remember why I didn't pull the card that day, but remember I told you I saw two bears that one, Mm -hmm. the one day. And then later on I checked that camera and I'm like, uh, this was a spot that I was like, the year was different than it has been for a while. Cause there was so much, there was so many acorns this year. Mm -hmm. And they use the scrapes differently because there is um, some new habitat um, management going on. So they, the times really changed. Like it wasn't my typical, like you, like normally I get like the the 15th, 16th of October, like the scrape opens up and then there's a whole bunch of activity. This was like very like uh, last two days of October and then Mm. November. And that, that's kind of like, I usually get some good activity then, but that's kind of late for this thing. And I was like, it's going to, like, I would get a picture of a buck and be like, oh, it's going to pop off any minute. Now I got to go hunt it. 
And I was convinced like, I will see a deer on this. And I think I hunted, I hunted it way more than I should. I think I hunted it four or five times through the whole season, like, you know, spread out by a week probably. And I remember hunting it and seeing those two bears and be like, I guess I just over hunted it. I guess I shouldn't have been in here like that. Well, you know what? I just had to try. It's fine. And I checked that camera in rifle season and the day before I hunted it for the fifth time or whatever it was, that eight pointer with the big white spot on his neck that I showed, he was on it the day before I hunted and the day after I hunted and the day after that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's one of those things, like, even if it is a window, like some, you have to, what I did wrong there was like, I think I just went too much off of history and was like, oh, these are the dates that it's going to happen. So as soon as I see something, but you know, I didn't really take into consideration the, the, uh, habitat changes that were going on. And maybe that doe family group that is normally in there, if I'm going to say they, sh- I think they shifted a little bit, mm-hmm. like how they were using that terrain. So let me ask you a question. So that back to that scrape line that pops up. Yeah. Right. And it, cause that it's close to a community scrape that you have. Yeah. Right. So when that scrape line opens up, does that community scrape start to peter out? Like, does the act is like the activity moved from that community scrape to the now opened scrape line? Uh, yeah, I don't, I think they just kind of, I think it does. Yeah. So they'll use that scrape line. And then when the rut starts to kick in or die down and you get back into that secondary rut, then they, or just in general, the the community scrape gets reopened. Right. You know what I mean? And, and actually the day that I hit that buck, he was actually using the community scrape. Oh, was he? Yeah. Yeah. That's actually how I saw him. Like I had seen, I told you on the phone how horrible that morning was. Yeah. Cause I got up that tree. The first tree I put this the day that this the squirrel day, jumped out of the squirrel. I put my hand around <laughs> the back the of best. the tree and put my hand in a hole. And all of a sudden this, I'm trying to like move branches out of the way from another tree. And all of a sudden you hear this like, and this squirrel runs over my hand and scares the crap out. Like it scratched my hand up, scares the crap out of me, falls on the ground then I realized the tree's hollow and it's going to be real windy that day. Like later on, it was supposed to get windy. And I'm like, well, this sucks. So I climbed down out of the tree because I didn't want to be in a tree with mad squirrels all day. <laughs> and I went and found another tree. Didn't really like that one. And I found a third tree that is way too big. Like I could almost not fit my arms around it, which is not a good tree to hunt out of a saddle. Right. Yeah. And there was no cover but there was really not another really good option. Like there wasn't really a really great option in there. So I was like, well, I'm going to pick, you know, use the tree as cover and pick the best um, angle for this tree. So I got up in the tree and of course I knew the canopy was kind of low in there. So I only brought three sticks and I should have probably had more or I could have, you know, practiced harder at my one stick in skills. <laughs> but, um, I used the tree and so the morning was just kind of like, it's like one of those mornings where you're like, I might as well just go home, Yeah, (laughs) you know? And you're like, no, no, stick it out. And right away, like I see a seven pointer at the top, at the top of the 
um, second doe bedding area behind me. And I grunted at him and he's like looking around like, what's going on? Then he goes back to feeding, goes to move away, grunt at him again, does that again, grunt on him a third time. And now he's like doing this, like looking all over to try to see where the buck was, you know, and this spike buck runs in from above him, just like tearing it up, like coming to get me, you know? And he sees the spike buck and he's like, oh, there it is. And he just runs after that and he's down the ridge. And shortly after they left, a doe came through, went into the bedding area behind me. And she had dropped down off off of that, you know, real wide point. And, um, you know, 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, that's good. Maybe, you know, maybe she saw it. 10 minutes later, I see shadows of an antlers coming down that point and i was like holy crap that looks like i mean i see antler shadows you know and i can see the deer turns his head and i see that long g4 and i'm like oh my goodness i cannot like that's that's the biggest buck we have on camera right now Mm -hmm. and um he puts his antlers in that community scrape looking branch and he's like working the scrape real good and he goes to go down the hill away from me and i hit one on my grunt tube and he flipped his head and just came on a beeline. And the only cover that I have between him and I now is one laurel bush. So he's like, I didn't even have time to think about it. I grabbed my bow and drew because by the time, by the time I had grabbed my bow, he was ready to clear that laurel bush. I'm like, once he comes out from behind that, he's got like three twigs to go behind and he's going to be in a 20 yard lane. So, I had my bow drawn and I'm getting ready for him to come into the 20. And when I settled my string, I was like, oh, my freaking face mask in my way. And I did one of these and kind of like, look, my eyes came off the buck. When I put my bow back up, he had gone into the 30. So that's where the low part of my shot came from. And then I wasn't, I was so jacked up from like messing everything up that I didn't take the time to stop him. And he was like, I mean, he wasn't like, he wasn't running by any means like he was still walking but he was like you know that stiff leg like where's the buck i'm gonna kick his butt you know and um i hit him low and back so to me it looked like i hit liver but in in all reality i think i just went through the meat below his rib cage um right at the back of his rib cage and i ended up waiting eight hours getting looking for him not finding him, tracked him for 200 yards, getting a dog after another eight hours of waiting. Couldn't find him with the dog. Dog had some interest in going way down the mountain, like mm-hmm. like half a mile from where I had last blood. And the 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 um, dog owner was like, eh, he might, I can't really tell. He doesn't really look all that enthused. So I went back the next day and gritted with a friend and I was like, I don't even, I mean, we checked a couple, we checked cameras first. I was like, I don't even know where to look. Like, to be completely honest, we just looked in all the areas. So I'm like, well, I guess we just look in the direction of where we ended the blood trail and just scout for a big buck. I started scouting for a big buck and I'm like, oh, look at all these beds. Like, this is a big buck bed. Oh, this is a big buck bed. And I'm like marking them for like, make sure I come back to this in the spring. And I took my foot off the last one and there's a big pile of blood right under my boot. I'm like, holy crap. And I called him over. I'm like, there's blood. And like, 
I followed this blood down this really steep hill. Now we're like a mile away from where I hit this deer. And we track the blood to the bottom of the hill and lose it again. And I'm like, well, there's benches here. We'll just grid these benches. So we kind of just wove through a ditch, hit two benches, came up to like a flat that was above this bench below a cliff. And, you know, I'm just kind of waiting there. And he's like, I'm going to circle down the end of this flat where it pinches off above these benches and see if there's anything, if he's laying over there. And all of a sudden I hear my buddy like, I got him, I got him. And I'm like, no, like it was, he was far. So I'm like, no way. I'm running through the woods and I hear something. I like look to my right and I can see the big G4 just running full bore over top of these giant boulders. And he runs way down into this ditch and he, you know, my, my buddy comes running up. He's like, did you see him? He looked hurt. And I'm like, he didn't look hurt to me. He was just flying over boulders. Right. He was like, he was laying in rocks. Like he, he literally found him in a big pile of rocks, like mm-hmm. nothing else. So we were like, well, maybe that was like his last, like last hurrah. And he's going to be laying right over here. So we get down this ditch and then we just see this buck like running up this. We caught up to him again. We see him running up this side hill, like this steep, you know, 300 foot. And I'm like, that deer's not hurt. Like, right. And we found no more blood and to had traverse no more, something like that, yeah. that quickly. It's like no more direction after that. So it's like, I def I put in 20 miles in two days between biking and hiking to find that deer. And I think I got, for me, I got closure. Like, I think he's alive. Like, yeah, right. you know, I'd like to think he is. And I just think I made a bad shot it happens, but you know, you learn a lot when you follow a big deer like that. Like yeah. a couple yes. of his beds we found, like single laurel bushes in the middle of flat, wide open nothingness. Mm-hmm. You know, like I found a couple like that where it was just his bed, one laurel bush, and like you could play baseball in there. Well, it's like the one shed up in the, uh, um, the one shed, the one bed up in the North Peace. Yeah. That we found out from where, like from that cut. Yeah. Where I had the cell, the uh, cell camera. Yeah. There was just literally one single bed out there. Literally, it was under a laurel bush. Yeah. And it was... When we were with Chad. Yeah. yeah. And it was totally not where I would think that bed would no, be. No, because it's not right... That wasn't right on the edge. It was basically in the middle of the flat area up yeah. there. It yeah. Was, it was a good 50 yards off the edge, like yeah. I would say, you know. They do strange things, man. Yeah. I, I sometimes feel like the more we learn about them... The only thing that we really know definitively is that we know less than we think we did. Oh, than yeah. we think we do or yeah, than 100%. we did before. It's yeah. like the more I learn, the less I, the less I actually think that I know. Yeah. That makes But sense. I think there's one benefit to things like we did today is like you were just talking about, we were talking about how the dog, you know, thinking about how the dogs use the wind as you use the quail and, and the dog is the deer. Like, those are really good situations to put yourself in. Oh yeah. And, and any practice that you can get at a smaller animal with less pressure or whatever it is just to have fun makes you so much of a better deer hunter in general. Like you can go, like sometimes I like to go stalking through the woods for squirrels, like still hunting. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, like the traditional, like, Oh, go sit for a while and you'll see a squirrel. Well, do you ever try still hunting them? Because does it really matter if you kill six squirrels? No, it doesn't. Dude. Kill a boon or squirrel. 
Booner squirrel. You know, we can do the hunting public thing like they do with turkeys and measure. Right. Yeah, get the long squirrel. Yeah, the long squirrel. We should. That's what we should name this podcast: the long squirrel. The long squirrel. <laughs> but but seriously, like it'll teach you something. Oh yeah. Like anything that you can do in the woods hunting, you know, people are like, what thing can I read? What thing can make me better? All that stuff is great. All the podcast, everything that you can learn is great in the time that you're learning it. But the only way you're actually going to learn anything about hunting at all is to actually just go and You can have, yeah, I mean, you, you can have people... You can be accelerated for sure. Yeah, you can have people tell you the information Mm -hmm. as much as you would, as much as you would like. Yeah. You know, but there's trying to figure out, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to say it. Like there's always the application part of it that is you having to do it. Exactly. You know, there's no, you know, a, a good example is. Like when I go scout with you or when yeah. I, when you and I scout together or where, or when I scout with, when I've scouted with Greg or I've scouted with Chad or whoever, right? Like I'll pick up little things that they're, that they're doing, yeah. you know, or like when we'll talk about stuff, you know, while we're kind of scouting, but I don't really learn things that I'm, I'm watching them do or that I'm absorbing until like I actually get, have to go do it for myself. Exactly. Right. Like that's when you actually really learn something is when you have to apply the thing that you just kind of academically picked up. Right. You know, and, and there's a lot of different ways to pick that up, whether it's videos or, or, or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, easy ways to pick that up. I mean, like listening to podcasts, but like you shouldn't just listen to whomever talk about whatever tactic strategy, whatever on the podcast, you should go like, you should, you should hear it and be like, okay, how do I actually apply that now? Right. How does it right. work for you? How, yeah. How does that work for, for you, for me? Or if you follow someone around, it's like, great. You just got a glimpse into how it works for them. Right. Right. I've always said like, you know, and, and, and Dan's, I've talked about this with Dan Enfall where, you know, people historically have taken a lot of what he said as gospel, like when it's, you know, related to, Know, hunting beds right yeah. but you know what he's really doing is he's hunting bedding areas and not necessarily like a specific bed. sometimes it is right you know but it by like a general rule of thumb is he's hunting a bedding area that he knows a bucket using and that bedding area could be an acre it could be five acres you know yeah. it just could be more than that it just depends on how big that bedding area is right and how well he has it kind of dialed in but what he really kind of does is he gives you a framework for how to think about finding exactly a bedding area that would be suitable for bucks to want to spend time or, or, or to you. Right. Yeah. And you don't necessarily need to follow him around the woods necessarily to, to know that. Right. Like you just listen to how he describes it and get a sense for the attributes he's looking for. And then you have to kind of go find those for your, for yourself, you know, yeah. and then understand like how that actually applies to the areas, areas that you hunt. And it's not that he's saying you always will find a bed here. I've scouted plenty of military crests in the past and yeah. not found a buck bed. Right. Right. Like they don't, 
it doesn't they don't exist in all of all of them right you know necessarily but i found a lot of beds <clears throat> because he gave me a framework of, of talking to him and listening to him going you know when you have these types of conditions and a military crest yeah and there's a really good chance right that you're gonna find something and if i don't find a bed i'm probably gonna find some sign and then that will probably end up leading me to a bed yeah. right and i think that that's part of the you know i think what i hope people you know take from podcasts and stuff like that is that you know this stuff isn't gospel yeah it's one person's approach and how they've kind of refined it you know right. and chad and, and i just, just talked about that a little bit you know i was gonna say week. like chad just said like hey man in the in the in the accidental podcast drop yeah that I put out a week <laughs> early or like <laughs> you're what sorry guys like chad <laughs> said chad said you just need to go out and like because they say how close can i how close how far can i push it he's like you just need to go out and see how far that is until you mess it up yeah. once and then you'll figure out how far is too far. You're not going to not met. This is the thing. Like when you're trying something new, there's never been, I shouldn't say never. I don't, I don't like absolutes, yeah. but I'm going to say that you will very rarely find a person who is trying something new for the first time that does it. That doesn't screw it up. Yeah. And doesn't matter know, what it is. White tails. You might not even know. <laughs> You might be screwing it up, think you're doing it right for ten years. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like that's just, you know, kind of the kind of the game. But you're right. I mean, you do have to at some point just go mess some stuff up. Yeah. And 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 figure figure it out. And it's not the end of the world messing it up. As actually it's the thing that's gonna help you most quickly kind of adapt or adopt whatever that thing is that you're trying to do yeah i mean and you think of it this way if you have five or six spots and you mess two of them up is that really a big deal you still have you know three or four more well i mean and then it just goes back to the idea of like spending your time and the, the, the postseason i have a little bit of like a i don't want to say love hate relationship it's not the right way because i i love scouting so but over time i think my feelings on postseason scouting are, are morphing mm. a, a little bit um, in a in a in a kind of weird way. So what I was going to say is that, you know, looking for those spots, it's like then it becomes really important. Maybe less so that you, that you understand everything mm-hmm. and that you spend the time in the timber boots on the ground, yeah, postseason and just finding spots so you can try things that yeah. you've heard of. Yeah, you know, and go screw them up, and you've got enough spots to kind of go screw stuff up and learn, and still be able to have good hunts. Yeah, I mean, I think there's value into covering a lot of ground in postseason scouting, but then when you find that good spot, is like you know, find the spots in the spots because then you're 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 making that spot. So more this is valuable. where I've changed a little bit, right? Because that's kind of what I used to do—just cover ground. Yeah, yeah, same and, thing. And yeah. find, and then I, well, if I found a spot, then find spot within the spot, right? And I would dissect the spot yeah and i so, think it's competition too like everybody's like oh, i put 150 miles on my boots this year and it's like right okay yeah <laughs> i did not you know or whatever <laughs> so this is because it, what made me think of it was i was talking to uh, our buddy dan johnson mr nine fingers I was talking yeah. to him we were actually talking about this and i i used to kind of scout diligently and when i found an area 
that I thought was good or whatever, whatever, whether it's a terrain feature or like historical sign up there or whatever, whatever it is that trips your trigger. Yeah. Then I would spend like time in that particular spot kind of trying to break it down. Like, all right, where the deer coming from? Yeah. Where, where would I potentially set up? What tree would I want? Just all the things you kind of go through find a spot. Right. But what I started realizing was, is that all I actually really know at that moment is that this spot seems to be an area that deer are spending a little bit more time in than right. the other spots that I've been has an active sign. Right. right. What I don't know necessarily, especially if it's a new spot, and this is what we're kind of talking about now, is brand new spots. Yep. What I don't know is when the sign was laid down, what I, what I, what I don't know is what, what type of deer or caliber of deer, maturity, yeah. age class of deer, spot. Like, there's a lot of stuff that I don't know other than at one point in time, and if the sign was from just last year, at one point last year, this deer, deer we're here often. Sign, yeah. right? So what I've started kind of doing is finding these spots and then marking, and then actually revisiting them during the hunting season not spending a ton of time. So it's almost like my postseason scouting has almost become like a perpetual speed scout. Yeah. Where I don't spend a whole lot of time at any one place. I just kind of rip through. Yeah. And if it looks decent, I hang a camera and I move on and I go back and say like, oh man, there's deer here all year round. Right. Right. Or there's not deer here all year round. Just let it here. Just come back and check it periodically during the fall Mm -hmm. and see when the sign actually gets laid down. Right. You know, that way now I have a better idea of 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 what its actual value, right? right? As opposed to spending two hours breaking it down. It's, yeah, it, it's it's only good for making this up, but it's only good for two days. After. Yeah. You know what I mean? In those two days, it's like, and there's not even a good bucket in that area. Yeah. It's just, I think the other thing too that I'm, I'm going to be doing more of this postseason is, you know, when we, we talk about there, there's nothing wrong with putting miles on. Like if you're in an area for the first time and you just need to see it yeah, and you need to find the good cover, like walk that crap as fast as you can mark a couple things and just be like, this is where the best cover was. Then go back. But in general, like I'll even scout, I, I've, I've scouted old properties like that. Like, Oh, I just want to check out this ridge line, And you're like, there's gotta be a shed over the next, you know, whatever. And you just like walk a straight line and you're like, oh, this looks good. Hang some cameras here. And you mark an area to hang a camera and you go back to hang your camera. You might walk the same area or you just get in there as quick as you can and hang the camera and get out. Now I have no plan. So I think one thing that I would definitely want to do better this year is, is like old spots and new spots or a spot that I visited more than once. If it, even if it's only the second time, I'm almost going to like, pretend you know like when people find a shed they do loops around it to try to find the other one i want to do that with my spot because i want to find the best way to get in to that spot like if i know especially if it's like a spot that i've like you just said hang a camera go see when that sign was laid now i know when that sign was laid so okay this is a new spot that i know is good now i want to go and hunt that spot but all you know is how to walk there on a straight line all the way down the ridge. Like, how can I get there best from the main access? Um, or if I need a backdoor access 
or if I need two directions in from a main access to access it from two winds, if it's a spot you can hunt on more winds, I want to do better at, at, um, just knowing the whole area around that to know the best way that I can get in there and not mess it up because you're, we, we just talked about like, you need to mess some things up. Well, I know I mess that up from time to time and that's what I need to get better at. My, I mean, most of my access is really good and that's why I have encounters, but like I, it can be, it can be better. I know it can be better. Yeah. And that's the one thing that I would say that, that I will spend time in the postseason. Like if I think a spot can be good, I will try to figure out like what the act, like yeah. the access on right option. And I'll, and I'll actually walk. Yeah. Like, I'll time. So and I, I might I'll even walk. put bright eyes in trees this year. I'm not going to lie. Cause right. how many times you go in and like, Oh, there's plenty of trees in there. And then you, a squirrel runs over your hand and jumps you out almost face. piss your pants. And <laughs> he did give me a little scratch. I had a little, he drew some blood. Let it go. Yeah. I got the rabies. Got the rabies. <laughs> got the my, uh, my daughter had to get rabies shots this year. Sure. Yeah. There's a bat in her room. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm, I think, well, I didn't, I don't remember. Yeah. She had a bat in her room and the doctor said, there's a bat in her room and she was asleep. She should get rabies shots. Yeah. So that was unfortunate. Yeah. Rabies shots aren't pleasant either. You know, there's like that big rumor that they're these giant needles that you get like 18 shots in your belly. Uh, it's not true. It was, it was four shots. She gets, she got two the first time it was like IgG and then a rabies vaccine. And then she had to get uh, three other or two other rabies vaccines. They're like day one and then day seven and day 14. So it wasn't, it wasn't overly pleasant vaccine. Rabies vaccines aren't overly pleasant, but they're not as bad as, as the, uh, as the, as the old wives tale. As the old wife tale. Yeah. So for this, uh, so for this upcoming kind of off season, sit here, 40 days, we're, let's call it late January. Yeah. Right. Um, like what's the, what's the thing that you really want to, really want to focus on? Is it that like access piece of it? Is that like going to be, yeah, I think, I think that is, I think just, um, I would say access and, 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 and exit, but like just really solidifying the spots to when, to know like, Hey, this is like, this is the spot for this day and not necessarily like, I'm only going to get one day to hunt that spot, but just like, I know this access is dynamite for this situation and because I, I know because I've looped this area around instead of just walked on a straight line and just to cover miles. Cause I'm one of those, I, I'm one of those people who likes to co I like covering miles. I like being like, uh, not as a competition. I don't track. How, right. I, I would guess. So I probably like 150 miles every spring or maybe somewhere around 175, something like that. It's probably, you're in the woods. You're in the woods a lot. yeah. Um, you know, I have time to do it and that's what I like to do. And so that's probably how many miles I put on, but I'm not worried about, I want to worry less about how many miles I put on. If I can find a quality spot, I will put two miles on. I don't care. 
if I, if those two miles, you know, if, uh, if all the pots are gold or in those two miles, that's what I want. I don't want the, yeah, I mean, dude, I don't I'm want all, the other I'm all stuff. About efficiency. Yeah. Like may sound terrible to some people, but man, as little as I need to do, <clears throat> maximum effect. And it's not because you're lazy. It's because you're smart. Right. I mean, there's nothing in my life suggests that I'm lazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it, but uh, what I am all about is, is doing as many things I can that I, that I enjoy. Yeah. So if I can do things effectively quickly, where I get to do more of the things I like to do, then that, that's my thing. Yeah. And, but, you know, I do, like you, I do enjoy being out in September. This is actually one of my favorite times to be out. It is. Scouting is one of my favorite things about deer hunting. It's funny because you always hear that, you know, people always say, enjoying the process is how you get to it. Gotta like, gotta love, gotta love yeah. the process and like, yeah. And I would say that I, like, I fit that. Like, I actually get really excited whenever postseason is here because I, uh, I have a very, I have a short attention span. Yeah. And so for me, the exciting part is that nothing I did last year matters. Right. And it's all brand. Right. And so now it's all a brand new story. So exactly. I'm I'm maximally now because it's all it's all blue ocean. Right. You know? And I get excited by that. even in like my work, like I get excited about blue ocean. I hate whenever like someone says, Oh, it's a blue box. We need to make a blue box. Well if you know it's a box it's blue, you can make it. Right. I'm kind of the same way with bow honey, but you know, as I'm in the season, I love to hunt. There becomes there comes a point of the season where I start to get, oh, I'm doing rinse repeat. All right, I need slate. Right, now, which is part of why this year I just really enjoyed, you know, not checking trail cameras. And yeah, I don't want to say winging it because I had a lot of information about places I was hunting. Sure, you know, but to a degree it was right. You know, my plan was to make a plan. When right, I, when I had the information. Exactly. Which sounds really kind of dumb. Right. You know, but that was, that was kind of my, my approach. Yeah. And it kept it fresh for me. It kept me interested. Yeah. I mean, and you're, you're, I mean, you're so right about all that. And really it is, it is all in the process of deer hunting. Like if you don't like, I mean, if you don't like to scout, if we're talking about big wood situation, especially because you could probably go out West and have a decent hunt in a week without knowing an area by glassing and learning that way in that time frame, Um, you can't really do that where we hunt very well. I mean, there's some opportunity for glassing here and there, but like, let's be real. Unless you're glassing 40 yards in the woods, it ain't happening. Unless you have adjacent ag. Yeah. And, and, real good ag. and I've had a lot of people come to me this year and ask it like, Oh, can you help me get started hunting? And, you know, after we get past the, like, you need to take your safety course and that kind of thing. Right. I get to the, like, you know, you got to learn about an animal. Like they lay, they make sign. This is the sign they make. You want to learn how to understand it. If the answer is like, yeah, but I want to kill it. Like, yeah, you have to do this part first. And if you don't want to, then you should probably think 
like of taking up golf or something, you know, like, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. but, um, and most people do are intrigued by the process because the process, like you said, is where it's fun. Even in the end process, like, uh, packing into your out sucks balls and it is fun. Like dragging the deer, you know, across a bean field in Kansas can suck, but it is fun. It's fun. You know? And um, I remember like this year, my buddy. Horses suck the most, are always the most fun. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, you know, my buddy shot um, a buck with his bow this year. And it was the first one we got to pack out. And I remember we both put it on our backs and we were tired. And we both put that deer on our backs and we're like, oh, thank God the truck's only a mile away this time. <laughs> you know, right, like. Right. Yeah. It's a. Uh, I'm a. Uh, I'm always I'm always excited for this time of year. Not the you know, my hunting season. Yeah, mine's not either yet either. Yeah, have a have a few more weeks, a few more weeks. But I'm always thankful whenever it does. Kind of, I don't want to say thankful. I don't want to seem like I don't enjoy hunting season. But for me this year, because I filled tags early, I've been kind of sitting on the sideline. Yeah, kind of voluntarily because I have tags I could I could fill if I want. Right, kind of right. Stay like kid. But when the season finally ends, like my season starts. Right, you know, because essentially it's like I've been sitting waiting. Yeah, to kind of get back out of. The so before we shut this thing down, we've been rocking. Plus an hour and fifty. But what is the thing you're most looking forward to? I think just getting out with buddies, man, and you know, learning a few things from them, and them learning a few things from me, and just enjoying the networking and hanging out, and and just being in the woods. I just love being in the woods, man. Love you heard it here first. Definitely loves being in the woods. <laughs> That's where you'll find me. <laughs> Squirrel attacks and while hunting at 11. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gang. Appreciate you guys listening, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you next time. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Genesee Beer. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.